0: It's all about attitude. I'm Rick Sanchez, and this is the Rick Sanchez Latitude, and I got to ask you a question. Have you noticed lately the way reporters are talking about the people in Ukraine? Have you noticed the way that they're describing that war and how different it is? It's like they're not even pulling punches at this point. It's almost embarrassing. It th- They literally will go on the air and tell you that we need to care more about a dead person from Ukraine uh, vis-a-vis, let's say, a dead person from Iraq or a dead person from uh, Afghanistan or a dead baby, for example, from Yemen. That the baby from Yemen, they really don't matter. They don't matter as much. That the dead person from Iraq, they just don't matter as much, or really any other part of the world. You know, forget uh, Latin America. There was not long ago, really, uh, uh, a civil war in Guatemala. By some estimates, there were 200,000 people who died in that civil war. And that was a civil war that, unfortunately, I love my country, but we caused that civil war. We created that civil war because we didn't like the uh, political dynamic that was going on in Guatemala at the time. So but do those people matter less than the people of Ukraine? Look, I don't it's not about what position you take in the war in Ukraine. I I know Putin's a dick and all of that stuff, and I get that. But why is it being reported in such a way so that somehow the people of Ukraine and their deaths matter more than the deaths of any other kind of person anywhere in the world? Because this is exactly as it's being reported by our media and that just doesn't seem right. I got examples. I mean, you're you're going to be able to hear this for yourself, and and it's there's 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 a part of this that's going to make you wonder. It just this just is not right. This just isn't right. Here's the first example. Here's a reporter who's actually filing a story about what's going on in Ukraine, and he says he says it. He says it. He says. They are more important. This story is more significant because the people there are civilized. Here it is. But this isn't a place with all due respect, um, you know, like Iraq or Afghanistan that has seen conflict raging for decades. You know, this is a relatively civilized Uh, relatively European, I have to choose those words carefully too. Now, he kind of caught himself, right? After he says it, you can hear him go, oh, I just said civilized. That was what I meant, but it's not what I meant to say. And you go, damn, right? I got another one for you. In this one, um, yeah, this reporter says that we need to pay attention to Ukraine because it's not like some third world nation. (laughs) it's not like some third-world nation, right? Really? Here it is.
1: Now the unthinkable has happened to them. And this is not a developing third-world nation. This is Europe.
0: And we're not done yet. Here's another one. Um... This one goes to exactly what a lot of people are thinking when they watch the broadcasts. There was recently a reporter on, I think it was CNN, and she was just crying and she couldn't control herself. Tears just started rolling out because she saw that there was a child And it was a cute kid, blonde hair, who was injured, and she started crying when the mother described the son's injury and this horrible war that's going on in Ukraine, and she cried. And I thought to myself, isn't that funny that she's crying in this situation with Ukraine? But, you know, I've known this person for a long time, and I've watched her for years, and I've never once seen her cry about the supposed 50,000 children who have died in Yemen and Those children are dying in a proxy war where our military hardware is being used by the Saudi Arabians. So essentially, that's our war. But who cares, whether it's us or anybody else? 50,000 children in Yemen have died over the last year. 50,000 little children, and she's not shed one tear for them. But yet she cries for this one child and this one, I mean, and sobbing. And I just thought, wow. Wow. But is it because that child has blue eyes and blonde hair? Is that what it is? Well, you can't say that, right? You can't say that. However, this reporter that you're about to hear actually does. Take a listen.
1: I'm sorry. It's really emotional for me because I see European people with blue eyes and blonde hair being killed. Children being killed every day with Putin's missiles.
0: Blue eyes, blonde hair. I got another one for you um why is the media freaking out about ukraine is it because i mean they're literally to the point where they're trying to get biden to bomb russia i mean have you ever thought about that they're they're literally trying to start world war II, world war three pardon me world war three they're literally trying to start world war three and i don't know if you know this but um if we were to start world war three Aside from the fact that the world would probably end and yeah, the ratings would be great, but the world would end, but it would go out with great ratings. So MSNBC and CNN and these guys would be really happy. Fox News, you know, fill in the blank. They'd be really happy because their ratings would be really good and then they would be all dead. Uh, but uh, And why do I say that? Because here's something they don't tell you on MSNBC, and here's something they don't tell you on Fox, and here's something they don't tell you on CNN. Do you know how many nuclear warheads the United States has vis-a-vis Russia? Who? Which country in the world has the most nuclear warheads? How's that for a question? Do you know? Russia. Russia has more nuclear warheads than we do. Last time I checked, I think they have something like 6,000. And we have 6,200 or something like that. The numbers are close, but they have more. Right. And then comes, I think, China with like 300 after that. And then France. and But uh, yeah, if we keep pushing the United States to try and start a conflagration of sorts, a war with uh, Russia, well, we're pretty much staring at the face of uh, World War Three. And, and that's significant, As you look at what the reporters seem to be suggesting that makes this war more important, that somehow it's more important than all the deaths and all the other things and all the other tragedies that have taken place in other places, right? And now we get to this really important point made by this reporter where we actually hear what she's thinking, right? And it's this. Let's see. We covered civilized, right? Because they're more civilized. They matter more. Um, we covered that, th- that it's not a third-world nation. Uh, we covered uh, blue eyes and uh, blonde hair as I look at my notes. But what about this one? Because they're Christian and they're white. They're Christian. <laughs> again, what you're about to hear is a reporter actually saying these words. They're Christian and they're white. Here it is. Just to put it
1: bluntly, these are not refugees from Syria. These are refugees from uh, neighboring Ukraine. I and mean, that, is, quite frankly, is part of it. These are um, Christians They're whites. There?
0: So there you have it. I mean, uh, whether they want to or not, reporters are covering this situation in Ukraine. And this is not to take sides of the situation in Ukraine, but they do make it seem like this is the worst situation as far as wars or invasions go that have that has ever occurred in their lifetime. It's almost like they slept through what Afghanistan. They slept through Syria. They 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 slept through uh, Lib- Libya. Um, you know, Iraq and Afghanistan. Just those alone. Think about it. By some estimates, some 500,000 people have died in Iraq since we, our country, the United States, invaded. Where's that story for context? Where's that story for context? Just to be able to, you know, maybe do a side-by-side, right? This is important stuff. important stuff. There is not a better person we can talk to about this than Katie Halper. And let me tell you why. Katie is such a good journalist, she doesn't get invited to talk about these kinds of things on cable television. Isn't that amazing? The new qualification for whether you are a real journalist is whether you're invited or not, to cable networks. And usually if you're not invited, that means you're a good journalist. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been introduced that way, Katie, but isn't it kind of true?
1: No, I haven't been, but thank you. Yeah, I guess you you know you're doing something right if you're not on uh, Rachel Maddow.
0: <laughs> yeah, because I don't know if you could call what they do there reporting or cheerleading. It seems to be more... Of the cheerleading variety. And let me start this interview with this question What would happen on CNN or Fox News or MSNBC if tomorrow the Ayatollah appointed his spokesperson as the new anchor woman or anchor man for the country? The news person. What, what would Rachel Maddow say? What would Tucker Carlson? What would Sean Hannity? What would Anderson Cooper say?
1: Right. Of course, it would be a case of uh, a failed state.
0: State news, right? Isn't that state what they news. always say? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Propaganda, yeah. State media, um, The you know, no free press, a joke, a free press, yeah.
0: So explain to our audience um, – As someone who's covered news and understood some of the problems that we have in our own country in terms of where the news is going, what is wrong with suddenly the person who is the spokesperson, um, Jen Psaki, the spokesperson for the president of the United States, accepting a position to be a news person all of a sudden with no formal training, never worked news in her life, not a journalist, not trained as a journalist, but now she's going to work as a journalist at MSNBC. What's wrong with this picture?
1: Well, it's just another example, I think, of the kind of revolving door that we see between political operatives and the media. And of course, there should be a, a separation between those two things, but there often isn't. And we saw this with Simone Sanders, who uh, worked for Bi- Joe Biden, and there was Simone. Uh, then was uh, Kamala Harris's press secretary. She also got a gig um, as a correspondent. So uh, it shouldn't be surprising. I mean, we should still be outraged about it, but it's still sadly uh, not surprising, because there's this incestuous relationships relationship between uh, the political elites and media elites. Explain and, that know, to us. Well, I mean, just one example of this, for instance, is you know Andrea Mitchell is married to Alan Greenspan. This just one example of them, but um, you know, people go to the same. Uh, And he, of course, is at the Federal Reserve, Um, so not a politician per se, but just an example of how literally in bed with each other the political and media elites are. And, um, you know, they're all friends with each other, and they have no objectivity when reporting on these people because they're either married to them or friends with them or go to dinner parties uh, with them or are working for them or used to work for them.
0: It used to be that reporters and the people they covered had a somewhat adversarial relationship. Right. Not necessarily a hateful relationship or even a disrespectful relationship. From time to time, it could be a little antagonistic, but for the most part, it was adversarial. What happened to that?
1: Yeah, nowadays, the only adversarial journalism we see is when journalists are trying to urge war, basically. Uh, that's how they are adversarial. They want, you know, they pressure Biden to call for a no-fly zone, ask him to send more weapons, ask him to consider boots on the ground. I mean, that really is the only way that we've seen in recent years any adversarial journalism with Biden. Of course, there was adversarial journalism with Trump, but it was never about the important issues, and that's a whole other discussion. But there is this amazing montage that Ryan Grimm put out at The Intercept, and you see just reporter after reporter asking Biden why he isn't uh, sending more military aid, why he isn't um, uh, calling for a no-fly zone. And then Ryan Grimm actually asked this question to Jen Psaki, which really is an outlier of a question, which is about diplomacy and negotiations, and asked if if Zelensky is empowered, being empowered to kind of negotiate on his own, um, and if the United States would ease sanctions, if, if Zelensky got to some kind of agreement with Putin and it just is it almost feels like that doesn't belong. It's it's shocking that there's any question about diplomacy and negotiation because he was in a sea of just belligerent journalists who I mean I that if they want boots on the ground, they should go or send their kids over there. I'd be happy for them to do that.
0: Do they know that what they're asking for is potentially World War Three? Do you think they know that? He,
1: I don't know, honestly. I, I can't decide. I keep going back and forth between thinking that they know that it's World War Three, and that what they're doing is maybe just moving the Overton window so that it's more belligerent and so that we can just flood the zone with weapons and, you know, escalate this proxy war, which really is a proxy war. I mean, Adam Schiff says we're fighting Russia over there so we don't have to fight them over here. <laughs> um and people are finally starting to admit that it's a proxy war. I mean, even Chuck Todd said this. Um, Lloyd Austin said things that indicated that, that the point of this was to weaken um, Putin. There was an, uh, an uh, a piece in The New Yorker that mentioned it was a proxy war. So people are finally facing that reality. But sometimes I think... I don't know if it's subconscious or conscious, but part of it may be that they're just shifting it. They're calling for something so extreme so that then Biden looks more moderate and mainstream when he's just flooding the the area with weapons. So it's not war. It's not boots on the ground. It's just escalating. Maybe this all
0: makes sense then. If we go back to the Jen Psaki conversation, Jen Psaki essentially is there propping up the U.S. military and its wars, etc., and in the old days, during the Vietnam War, for example, journalists would question the Gen Saki's of the world, and say, "No, no, 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 no. America doesn't want to be at war. This war doesn't make sense. Why are you engaging in this way, etc." They would ask the necessary questions. But today, the journalists are cheerleading whatever Gen right. Saki says. So maybe it's befitting that Gen Saki would then go join the other cheerleaders. After all, they're all cheerleaders.
1: Well, what's scarier is that they're not even, I mean, they often cheerlead. But what's scarier in this situation, I think, is that we actually see Jen Psaki as Biden's spokesperson. This shows you how off the rails the media has become. It's Jen Psaki as a representative of Biden. Now, this may change once she's part of the media officially. But Jen Psaki as Biden's spokesperson is actually being less belligerent than the media. I mean, it's the opposite of questioning war, they're actually upset that Biden isn't being more belligerent. And that's what's really insane, I think, to watch when you have the Pentagon and the uh, you, you know the U.S. military and the actual president. And Biden is not exactly a dove, uh, although he should get credit for pulling out of Afghanistan. That's another time where we saw that was adversarial journalism there. I never saw them so angry at him. You know, they're not angry at him about um, build back better. It's basically it's failure. They're not angry that he doesn't use any political will to get Joe um, Joe Manchin in, in to to fall into line. They're only mad at him about not having a fly zone and about pulling out of Afghanistan. And that was the only time you saw him, the, the media actually really angry at Biden, and it was incredible. So it's almost like if only they were cheerleading him. In this case, I'd love to see them cheerleading him for pulling out of Afghanistan. I'd love to see them. Uh, and, and, I mean, the adversarial, they're adversarial from the right. They're adversarial from a hawkish position when it comes to, to this stuff.
0: That's interesting what's happening in this interview that I'm doing with you, because we started this conversation talking about how ridiculous it is that Jen Psaki, a spokesperson for the government of the United States, would one day take off that hat and become a journalist, which is supposed to be the people who criticize the government of the United States right. because that's their job, right? But what you're actually telling us is, no, Rick, it makes perfect sense. These people are in line with each other. They work together. They're there seemingly at the behest of a government that wants to be at war, a government that promotes, that promotes needless wars. And I guess we have to say this, the Raytheons of the world who have board members who sit on these companies where the Rachel Maddows of the world work, correct?
1: Right. That's actually another really important related issue, which is that there's a revolving door between the political world and the media world, and there's a revolving door between the um, arms industry and the uh, political world. And um, Matt Orfalea just did a great video that Matt Taibbi uh, put on his uh, great uh Tk News, his website and it goes through all of these conflicts of interest that are never presented by the media so you have leon panetta on you have um jay johnson on and all these people have uh, are on the boards of raytheon um uh other weapons uh boeing arms industry boeing uh, Raytheon. Um, what's the other one that michelle for, for is on it yeah um there's there are many more and that their um, their names are escaping me but um they're never revealed. These conflicts of interest are just never revealed. And you'd have no idea that these people, you think that they're they're just people who used to be in the military or just people who used to be in, in, um, you know, in cabinets. And they never revealed these huge conflicts of interest. That again, if if this happened in other countries that the United States was in an adversarial relationship with, they would just condemn it as corrupt, as oligarchy, as uh, state media. But because it's here, it's not called that.
0: Maybe we shouldn't be surprised when we consider the following. At CNN, they had a guy who was their prime journalist who's not a journalist and was only there because his father was the governor of the state of Cal- of, of New York, and so was his brother. They also have a guy, Anderson Cooper, who's a former reality talk show host. Rachel Meadow never studied journalism, neither did Tucker Carlson, neither did Sean Hannity, and I could go on and on. So most of the people who are presented to America as news people, as people who are supposed to inform them with facts don't come from the world of informing with facts. They're not reporters, they're not journalists, they're not trained that way, and that never really even work that way. So right. should it surprise us that suddenly they're taking another person like Jen Psaki, who's not from that world, and she's joining that parade?
1: No, it, I mean, I think it's totally on brand, to be fair. We we shouldn't be surprised. I mean, we should be outraged, but we shouldn't be surprised. Um, but, and, and by the way, just uh, one of the other major conflicts of interest is... um. Michelle Fior- Florney, who's uh, constantly on CNN, and she is on the board of Booz Allen Hamilton and huh. a managing partner of West Exec Advisors, uh, a firm whose clients include Boeing. Uh, and all these people, I forgot this part, they're all calling for more weapons. I mean, that's what they're literally going on the news to do. People with ties to Raytheon um, and Lockheed Martin, that's another one. So, yeah, it's just it's disgusting. So these Carlisle people are who, paid.
0: No. These people are paid as contributors to go on CNN and Fox and go on MSNBC, et cetera, to talk about something having to do with a possible war. But they are making money. But let me phrase it this way. But they are also being paid by companies that would make money off of that war.
1: Right. Yes. They are making money. I mean, they're they're making money off of those wars themselves. Yeah.
0: So it's like uh, Dick Cheney, who was the CEO of Halliburton, suddenly becoming vice president. And the first thing he does is he starts a war where Halliburton makes more money.
1: Right. Yeah, exactly. Same thing.
0: It would be like the mayor. It's very bipartisan. if, if, If tomorrow I became mayor of my city. And I own a street repair company. And the first thing I decide that I'm going to do in my city is fix all the streets. And I become a multimillionaire off of that decision. It's the same thing.
1: Right. Total conflict of interest. And it's not even announced. I mean, people aren't even armed with the information to to know that, which is totally corrupt. Yeah.
0: I'm wondering, uh, Katie, is there anything that you see on the horizon that will uh, change this or better arm our citizens so that they know that they're being banduzled?
1: I mean, I just think that the independent media is doing what it can to call this stuff out. And we're seeing people, um, uh, you know, people who are doing independent media are getting bigger and bigger audiences. Mm -hmm. I don't want to overly have like overly rosy glasses when it comes to this issue because I still think there's a major uphill battle, and of course, the people can have independent shows, and that is great, and you know everyone should be supporting those. But uh, the main, I mean, corporate media is a failure. I think people are seeing more and more; they're losing their their it's losing its credibility. So that's somewhat encouraging. But I think that the only way that people can really be uh made aware of this stuff is by listening to alternative media independent media and uh that has to get out there and then but then another issue with that is that YouTube will sometimes suppress videos that are our anti-war and say it's propaganda i mean that's another scary thing that happens which is a you, whole other issue
0: you know i'm just thinking about um uh, what we can do um i know i speak as a latino-american and because i'm a latino-american and we're 62 million strong and one-fifth of the population of the united states and we're rarely invited to these discussions but we should be because we come from countries where we've seen what happens with expansionism we've seen what happens with wars we've seen how corrupt leaders can manipulate the media, buy the media, own the media. So we've seen these things firsthand, perhaps more so than most Americans. We could see from a mile away what's happening right now with Ukraine and how many in the media are trying to manipulate us into a war with Ukraine, which we don't like, and we think it's dumb. But um, I don't know if you notice or not, but most of the people who are in the general media of the United States, the corporate media, They're not Latino. They're not young. Uh, They don't really represent what Americans, I think, think. Do you agree with that?
1: Yeah. And they really don't know how to report on Latinos. I mean, they talk about them like they're this monolith that they don't have any like there's no variety. They act as if like Cuban-Americans and Mexican-Americans are the same. Um, You know, obviously, I don't have to lecture you about those differences, but uh, yeah, I think that the the media is extremely out of touch. I mean, we really saw that with Bernie Sanders' um, mm-hmm. election, of course. Uh, Attempt at you know, well, yeah, at, during the the race, um, we saw how they were just disgusted by him. I mean, people remember that woman um, Mimi Roca saying that he made her skin crawl. I mean, the contempt that these people have. And they are so insulated and they are so entitled and they never face any accountability that they would actually say these things out loud. Things that we all knew that they believed, but I kind of thought they'd have the wherewithal to not say them out loud. But they would say them out loud because they're so out of touch and they're so um, they live in such a privileged uh, reality where they don't really have to deal with with what I'm sure they see as the riffraff.
0: Speaking of the reality of what you need to do, let's talk a little bit about these people who do the news, these people who are, let's suppose, MSNBC. If I were working right now at MSNBC and I had any self-respect, the first thing I would do when I learned that we were about to hire as my colleague, and I went to the University of Minnesota, I studied journalism, I've covered stories my whole life, I've done documentaries, I've been a writer, I consider myself a pretty good journalist at least somebody who spent most of the life, most of his life in this craft, right? But suddenly I'm told by my boss, oh, we're bringing in somebody who's going to work with you, who's going to be your colleague here. And she has no experience in journalism. She hasn't done any of the things that you have done. In fact, she is the opposite of what you stand for. She literally is there to hack for the government. Wouldn't it behoove me to go talk to my bosses and say, I'm not comfortable with this? In fact, maybe even quit because of that? Do you expect anybody to do that at MSNBC?
1: No, absolutely not. Of course not. I don't expect that at all. No. Why? Oh, because I don't, because people are, this is the world that they live in. This is the world that they operate in. And if if things like that bother them, they would have already quit. They would have quit if they cared about conflicts of interest, if they cared about inappropriate. I mean, they're part of the system. And I don't think you can get to where you are in that system if you have, honestly, ethics.
0: Do you think they've been bought and sold because essentially back in the old days again, a journalist would make about as much money as a working guy, maybe a little bit more. Yeah. Today, you know, these salaries for these anchors, they're upwards of $20 million. So it's almost like. Right,
1: we would walk away from that.
0: Right you you almost yeah. can't blame them right i mean they've been right. they've been purchased they're they're branded yeah. tools for the company that owns them
1: yeah they've been pur- i mean there's there they've been purchased but there is also i think just kind of a general kind of subtle brainwashing through osmosis they're around a bunch of other people who see the world in the same way i mean every now and then you'll have a brave journalist i can't honestly i mean well look at what happens if you're like julian assange you get locked up and he's literally as we speak being Tortured, And we know that because the um, UN special rapporteur on torture, Niels Melzer, who did not start out uh, at all positive on Julian Assange. In fact, he was very reluctant to look into the case because he had bought into a lot of the propaganda, the anti-Assange propaganda himself. But he then looked into the case and discovered he was just definitionally being tortured. Um, mm. And I recommend his book. It's called The Trial of Julian Assange. It's excellent.
0: So finally... Um do you see, uh, paint the picture of us of what happens at MSNBC when Jen Psaki goes there and starts, I guess, her show? What, what is High that going to be? High like? fives
1: all around, I'm sure. Say that again. High fives all around, I'm sure. High fives. What did she say once? she When something, I don't remember, or there was some bad political news. She's like, just go do a margar- have some margaritas, do a kickboxing class. So maybe they'll all go out for margaritas and kickboxing.
0: How would you describe her? How would you describe Jen Psaki?
1: Very, um, well, she has a hard job. I got to say, being Joe Biden's uh, press secretary, uh, comms person, is pretty hard because he's not the most articulate guy. You got (sighs) to do a lot of damage control. But um, she's pretty condescending and uh, contemptuous, I think.
0: Why contemptuous?
1: Well, you just see her whenever she's asked questions. She really challenges them in a kind of obnoxious way that I think comes across as entitled. And, um, and you know, she gets kind of snippy and snooty around about things.
0: Do you think she gets a pass from the media in general because she's, A, uh, a liberal Democrat, and, B, uh, because she's, you know, uh, <sighs> telegenic?
1: No, I mean, I think that anyone who... In, in anyone who was working for Biden um, would get a pass, honestly. Hmm. Yeah. That's not fair, though. No, it's not fair, but it's it's the way it is. I mean, would get a pass from. But again, it is interesting how it's really. De- it's like they get a pass on on it, except for a couple of issues, um, which is war, uh, where there is some adversarial again adversarial journalism from the right, from the haw- from the hawkish position. Yeah. Um, but. Yeah, I think she's, you know, she's not a she's not part of the problem is that, you know, when when Trump people would cover for Trump, they were vilified by the media. And when uh, she covers for Biden, she's just doing her job.
0: (laughs) Yes, indeed. And that's the hypocrisy that we end with. Uh, Katie Halper, thanks. We appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's good conversation. Really good. Check out my podcast. Follow it on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and stay connected with us right here. There's nothing like a little attitude. So let's do this. Not it. <laughs>
1: it's all about the attitude.
0: The Rick Sanchez Latitude is a production of Agua Media. Created, hosted, and executive produced by Rick Sanchez. You can find a full list of credits in our show notes.